to another two to your... Oh, should we say hello? <laughs> hello. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to another two-door cameo episode. These very short episodes will be slotted in between the normal ones and will cover those characters who made a fleeting yet tantalizing appearance in other episodes. We don't always have a lot of information about them, so they can't have a full episode on their own. But they are too interesting to abandon completely. And they help fill in the gaps and enable us to create as full a picture of the era as we can. And today, Henry Bodrugan. <laughs> Bodrugan? Bodrugan sounds a bit sort of Hungarian, doesn't yes, it? Yes, it does. Bodrugan? Bodrugan? Bodrugan actually sounds a bit more Cornish. Might okay. go with Bodrugan. Bodrugan. <laughs> <laughs> does everybody know his name now? <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's no quiz, so you don't have to try, you don't have to try and remember. <laughs> we came across this man in a couple of episodes. In John DeVere's episode, he appeared as the man put in charge of the siege of St. Michael's Mount. Yes. Where DeVere was holed up after a little light piracy in the English Channel. <laughs> light piracy. <laughs> and we couldn't work out why he kept letting DeVere's men out to forage for food. You're right. And he also appeared in uh, John de la Pole's episode when he jumped off a cliff and yes. swam to his ship and sailed to the Irish Sea. So who was he? And he's quite an interesting character. I enjoyed reading about him. Bodrugan. Now I've got a <laughs> Transylvanian now. <laughs> Bodrugan. Bodrugan. It's easy. Bodrugan. Was also went under the name of Henry Trenoweth. Oh. And I'm not sure why he had an alias, but he did leave the, lead the sort of life where an alias might come in quite handy now and again. <laughs> he was the son of Sir William Bodrugan of Newham in Cornwall. And Philippa, daughter of, of Sir John Arundel of Laherne, the richest man in Cornwall. Yeah. So he's got some good Cornish gentry genes. An early William Bodrigan had been provost of Glasney College, which is a role we came across in the Michael Joseph Thomas Flebank yes. episode with um, Provost Obi. He wasn't the one that was dismembered. He was the one that was zealously collecting all the taxes <laughs> and kicked the whole thing off. But anyway, that's not him. It's William Bedrugan. On the death of his father, Henry Bedrugan became the ward of Thomas Courtney, Earl of Devon, from yeah. Powderham Castle. And anyone who knows South Devon will know Powderham Castle. So wait a second. He had to have been fairly high up to be a ward. Warden. He was the ward of... Oh, he was the ward he, of... He was Sorry. The, he, was the young, he was the boy. Yeah, vice versa. I, um, <laughs> not, quite sure, not quite sure how old he was. Uh, Devon paid the Earl of Suffolk, who would have then been John de la Pole Senior, for the privilege. So although it must be nice for John to have had a bit of money coming in for a change, I couldn't work out the connection. No. Because so, a, a provost doesn't have that much income that an earl would want to use well, this Well, this is on a bit from the provost, so... Oh, okay. I don't know. Uh, well, he married the daughter of the richest man in Cornwall, so they... They probably did have money. We're going to assume yes, because otherwise he would have just been pawned off somewhere else. Mm. They wouldn't have paid to have that income. Yeah, but under Courtney, Bodrigan's land seems to have deteriorated, but that oh. appears often to be in the case in wardships, doesn't it? Yes, it does. They took what they could get. Yes, they did. Bodrigan married twice. This is our Bodrigan, Henry. First to Joan, or Jane... She was married when he met her to somebody else. Ooh, scandal. Yeah, together they always need the bell. Hang on. Scandal bell. <laughs> they had a son, John. After they got married, I'm hoping. <laughs> nope. 
They Oops. married later when her husband died, conveniently. Conveniently. I don't know there's any scandal behind that. I'm going to say there is. Well. Just because it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> Sadly, Joan or Jane, I guess Bodrigan, Henry knew what her name was, but we know her as oh, Joan or Jane, <laughs> died before 1475. So then Bodrigan married Margaret, youngest daughter of William Lord Herbert. And he was the one who had a young Henry, Henry Tudor, Tudor as his ward. Yeah. yeah. Yes, links and links and links. Bodrigan seems to have led an exemplary life between 1454 and 1486, being a JP, a commissioner of array, which meant that it was up to him to make the local gentry muster their local inhabitants and get them ready for war. Okay. And he was sent to investigate piracy. For instance, the calendar of patent rolls in Westminster, 15th of July, 1461, states Henry Bodrigan, Thomas Treffy, William Trevener, William Horde, William Premfold, and the, and the Sheriff of Cornwall, to inquire into the complaint of John Dabsag and Bertram de la Grave of Gascony, that when they were sailing to England in a ship called La Marguerite of Brittany, certain pirates seized the ship and took it to Foy. That's in Cornwall. So Bodrigan, definitely on the side of the angels. Yes. Mm. We get somebody who's not a bad person. <laughs> I'm saying so nothing. Saying nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so in 1473, he was just the person to send to besiege John de Vere at Michael's Mount. But he was soon deprived of that command, accused of double dealing with de Vere. Really? Yeah. How dare they? Yeah. But he did subsequently retain some of de Vere's men, which seems a little bit damning, unless they were sick of traipsing around after de Vere. Yeah. But it, I suppose they were up for grabs, really, once de Vere was in prison. Yes, they would in have France. to change their yeah. loyalty to somebody. Yep. And he was there. He was to be attainted in 1474 for this double dealing, but a petition to Parliament led to its cancellation. And I was going to leap down the rabbit hole of finding out how common it was that Parliament did cancel attainders, but it looked like a very long and winding rabbit hole <laughs> for a cameo episode. <laughs> there is a story that in 1483, Richard III told Bodrigan to arrest Richard Edgecombe, who was a Lancastrian. He chased Edgecombe all the way down to the River Tamar, which is the river that separates Devon and Cornwall. Okay. When Edgecombe got to the river... He jumped in. no. He threw his hat in and then he hid. Oh, so they think he drowned. Yes. He thought, well, they thought that he drowned himself rather than submit to capture. Oh, that's clever. Well, I don't know. I mean, it's sort of cartoon, something yes. you'd expect in Looney Tunes. <laughs> yes, it does. Especially <laughs> if he was underneath it. And then after they rode off, he's, he disappeared out of the water underneath his hat. Hello. But no, I think he was <laughs> hiding in the bushes. You think you have a bit of a look round. You wouldn't just think, oh, it's his house. Oh, he must have drowned. Everybody home, lads. <laughs> but he was then able to flee to Brittany and join Henry Tudor. The Devon Courtenays supported the bid by George, Duke of Clarence, to gain the throne. God knows why. I mean, why would anybody want him to have the throne? But Bodrigan, possibly because he'd come so close to being attainted this time, drew back from that one. Apparently, he was quite the dandy. He owed his tailor at one time £150, which is a lot of money a for a provincial gentleman to spend on clothes. Ooh. And he had his own band of musicians. The book I read made that sound as if it was the sort of height of profligacy. 
<laughs> but I would have, I'd have thought it's not uncommon if you could afford it, because what other entertainment do you have? Practically none. Yeah. He did very well under Edward IV, and in around 1475, in the reign of Richard III, he became Sir Henry Bodrigan and was made a Knight of the Body of the King. Nice. So, yeah, so everything's beachy. He was probably at Bosworth, but we're not sure. But. We've come but. to the but. But, 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 but. But, 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 but. But. Although he was given these responsible positions, it seems that he was getting up to some pretty dodgy dealings. Mm. It's said that he sold and then fraudulently repossessed timber, and that the land he had sold under Henry VI he forcibly took back once Edward IV took the throne. Really? Between 1456 and 1478, so that includes the time after he was knighted, he was repeatedly brought before the Chancery, the Privy Council and Parliament, accused of a whole range of violent crimes, extortion and piracy. Whoa. Mm. Yeah. He's either leading a double life or just using all the benefits he'd gained. Yes. To uh, push people down. Some people claim that his two ships, the Mary Bodrigan and the Barbary, were... Who's Mary? It's not one of his wives, is she? <laughs> were pirate ships. <laughs> Perhaps a daughter. These are presumably the ships that he swam out to after leaping over the cliff. Right. While he was arresting criminals, he was also breaking the law himself. <laughs> so you do wonder, were all the people he arrested really criminals, or were they just an inconvenience to Sir Henry Bodrigan? Yeah. He definitely arrested a greater number of Lancastrians and Yorkists. Wealthy people in Cornwall said that he broke into their homes, stole their belongings and farm animals, and threatened their servants. A oh, lovely person. Yeah, he was said to have altered wills and judged cases to his own advantage when he was a JP. Oh. He was described as the chief ruler in Cornwall, and that may have been true literally, but it also has a, it's true in a sort of godfathery way. Yes. He sounded so nice at the beginning. Well, mm. no, he didn't. But he didn't sound this conniving. I did deliberately separate the two, admittedly. <laughs> <laughs> he was so powerful that people were afraid to report him to the authorities for fear of violent reprisals. Cornwall must have been like Naples at one time, hasn't it? Yeah. And that may have been the way of the world in the 15th, late 15th century. And it would have been inevitable, I suppose, that more Lancastrians would be arrested under a Yorkist regime. And yes. so it could have been just a matter of degree because other people were doing it. But he did it more. Right. Much, much more. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing there because it's not funny. That's sort of like creepy sad. It does sound like a really terrible nasty. man. Yes, a very nasty piece of he's work. He's got his little kingdom. Well, not the Cornwall's that little, but he's got this kingdom. And he is sucking it dry by the sound of it. Yes. However, on the 8th of February, 1487, so now we're into Henry the Seventh's reign. I mean, we almost think, hey, Henry the Seventh. Yes. <laughs> Thank goodness. Get rid of him. A warrant was issued for the arrest of both Bodrigan and his son. Ooh. And this time, however, it's not for violence or extortion, but for their support of Lambert Simnel. Ah. And we heard how he managed to evade capture by jumping off a cliff and swimming away and that the cliff carries the name of Bodrigan's Leap to this very day, although Google Maps doesn't seem to know that. But the man who was chasing him was Richard Edgecombe, the man who'd thrown his hat into the river. <laughs> ha! <laughs> yes. Get you now! 
As he jumped in, Bodrigan put a curse on Edgecombe. But how successful that curse was, since Edgecombe was given most of Bodrigan's estates after he fled to <laughs> Ireland. <laughs> I don't think so. Bodrigan and his son attended Simnel's coronation, but it doesn't seem as if they fought at the Battle of Stoke. Not sure why. Although he's not fought anywhere else, is he? He's one of the few people we've met that haven't been in a battle, so... Yeah. As far as we know. And we don't know why he favoured Simnel, except, I suppose, that he wasn't Henry VII. He wasn't Henry VII that just arrested him. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, Bodrigan died in exile, but I'm not sure whether that meant he stayed in Ireland or whether he moved on to somewhere else. We don't know exactly when he died, except that his heirs petitioned for the reversal of his, of his attainder in 1503. So Were they must, successful? Must have been dead by then. I'm not sure, but people usually were when it's not you, it's some, it's your family. I mean, we just yeah. found that with Edward Brampton, didn't we, that his son was all right. Yeah. Hmm. And that is the story of two halves of Sir Edward Bodrigan. And they're two very different halves. They sounded good at the well, beginning. And then yes. very much twisted. You should have light music at the beginning and then it turns <laughs> dark and evil yes. at the end. <laughs> yes, <laughs> the, um, But then he was presumably relative, relatively wealthy in Cornwall and mm-hmm. might have bought his JP position, which he then used to his advantage. Yeah, in such a nasty way. Yes, he's just... Utterly corrupt. Like that. Mm. Well, so far the only people we've come across who have been nice is little Edward in the Tower and Leonardo. Yeah. Yeah, Mm. that's pretty much it. Everybody else had a fairly nasty. Sean Cabot was all right, as far as we know, I suppose. But well, we don't. (laughs) We don't know. (laughs) I was reading a book today that said, as everybody knows, John Cabot discovered, in inverted commas, North America. And I thought, well, turns out not everybody does know that. Oh, my goodness. Mm. And that's the end of this episode of Tudor Cameos. Goodbye, Henry. (laughs) (laughs) And good riddance. Yes. (laughs) So we'll see you next time. See you next time. Yes. Bye. Goodbye.